My name is GF. <laughs> uh, we're back to being just us, just us two. No guests for a while, nothing scheduled, but it was nice having guests. Mm-hmm. Well, Nick might come because he, he plans to go to VE well, next week. Well, and I also and he might do a, a blind show. That's cool, but I also invited Nick to, Nick to be a semi-regular yeah. guest. So I like the I, I. It's a different dynamic. I like how he keeps me honest. Like I don't take too many things for granted, which I tend to do when I'm just with you. That type of thing, you know. So, but I think I you think also it's... like that he he works at it. He's not. Yeah. I mean, he's he's trying really hard to. Yeah. To be good at this, I didn't like the four way dynamic as much. Not because Aaron was there. Just I don't know. Four was tougher. It's it's harder yeah. to control. Yeah, four way dynamic yeah. was tougher. Um, and Shane was a good guest. I mean, he's. He might have blew a little too much too much smoke up our butts. But uh, he, he, <laughs> I think he was just trying to be a ple- you know a gracious right, he, guest. He, it was, he was, I mean, he did, he didn't know us too well. It was oh it no, was, he didn't really know us at all. Yeah, so, so we were getting to know each other at the yeah. same time doing the show. So, um, so, so yeah, that that was a different type of. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. Like I'm sure from his point of view, it's kind of going to some dude's basement in Cranberry. Right. Yeah. I've never met him, and we're gonna be hanging out in his basement drinking beer. So I'm sure that's a little. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's just a, it's a little weird. And you know, if he if, if he were to come on the show three or four times, he would know, right? How, you know what's going on. Uh, what else? So I we just played. I brought betrayal at House on the Hill again, uh, so we could play just on our own in in a more relaxed in, in, in an environment where it wasn't like late at night and six. Yeah. So to like recap, that. this is uh, it's a it's a board tabletop game. Yeah. Not a single board. But it it's Nick described it, you know, and it, it starts out cooperative, then turns competitive. And I actually got that feel this time, where mm-hmm. last game didn't really see. I didn't understand how the dynamic changed. Didn't get the feel of it. This time, two games in, this was a better executed game. Yeah, the the flip happened early, so I mean, the game didn't last more than what a half an hour, something like that. And uh, it's neat. It's crazy though, because there's how many. Scenarios of 50, 50 different scenarios. 50 different scenarios. You're not supposed to really know what they are. And then when. I mean, you can read the book, but I haven't, you know. It, yeah. It, there's, there's, there's an no algorithm point. that tells you which scenario is happening. Right. So <clears throat> a person is picked to be the traitor and they read one book and then everyone else reads another book. So they know how to play from there on out. And each side has some secret knowledge and you're playing to try to. To win, to win, to 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 do whatever it is you need to do to, to set the winning. Like in my case for that game, I didn't have to survive; I just had to make sure nobody won. Right, and I had to create three exorcisms, do in in, in either particular places or using particular items, mm-hmm. uh, in order to to win. And, and then even after I was dead, I still had uh, intelligence to help make the game harder for the right. living people. Right. So. so, yeah, we played a two-player variant of the game. Normally, uh, you know, the, the game is supposed to be for three players and up. Mm-hmm. But if you play with um, each person taking control of two players, and then whenever one person becomes the traitor, he gives the other character to the other person, then you can play as that. You can still have that dynamic going on where there's, again, then it's just that one person against the other person. So, it's been an interesting week. I can't wait for this debate. It's going to be interesting. Um, uh, I, I, I made a tweet last night. I don't know if you saw uh, my tweet night? about... I only saw one last night. To, to me, just um, looking at it from all that I know about this stuff, which is not much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see the tweet was uh, Trump's debate style might be like a drunken fire. Oh, yeah, it's, it, like basically, like it's it's a complete mess, but you never know where anything's coming from. So that's why drunken fighter style is, you know, a a style. Right. You don't know how to really defend against it, is what you're yeah. saying. And it's hard to hurt a drunken fighter too. <laughs> But I mean, the reason why is yeah, it's hard to have a defense when you have no idea where the fuck something's coming from. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I was reading an article today, like on the New York Times, like 
basically cataloging his lies for the past week. Mm-hmm. Like 35 of them. The, the, the people... The Lester Holt one is hilarious, right? Uh, Which one was that? It's the, oh, the, the debate's not going to be fair. The moderators are rigged. Lester Holt's a Democrat. Lester Holt's not a Democrat. He's a Republican. He's been a Republican longer than Trump has been. <laughs> it's it's not about... See, well, it's, it's the truthiness, right? It, it yeah. is Colbert, Colbert Report right. personified. Where was that quote? Um, they, there's... I forget where I heard it, but I... I Somebody they did a thing after Trump did a birtherism, you know, sort of did the birtherism thing, and, and mm-hmm. uh, so oh yeah, uh, Obama was actually born in in America. Hilly started it. I'm closing it. Yeah, it's true. Obama was American. <laughs> uh, there was a, they, they had I forget who where I saw the news story, but it was somebody who said anything Trump says is true, and that's the mentality of a lot of this this the support. People who are just well, you had that other tweet about twenty-two percent of Trump voters think he'll set off a nuclear device. Yeah, that's like you know, I, I figure that's the, the same amount of people as that person who's like you know, people who buy into the cult. The, mm-hmm. the, they'll be anything. And of course, that number twenty percent is, I mean, it's scary, sounding, but it, it's a small number. I mean, relative to the people out there. So, the idea that it's out there is, but I mean, you could probably find twenty percent of Hillary supporters that would support something that most people would find ridiculous. I bet you could find 20% of Hillary supporters, for example, that would support uh, taking all guns from all people. Probably. And that would be just as, you know, it would be just as alarming a statistic in some sense for a lot of people. Yeah, I guess you're right. I guess you're right. I'd rather not live in a world with... Uh... Nuclear fallout floating around the globe, but you know. Uh, it's silly to talk about now. I mean, there's not much that we can add to the situation to make it much more ridiculous. So, I mean, the polls are a lot closer, but I haven't seen Pennsylvania. How's Pennsylvania still? Is it Pennsylvania still, still is uh, moderately in, in the uh, in the Clinton category. It, it it's the it could be the deciding factor in the election should it go towards Trump. <laughs> Did you like my tweet the other day when I was riding my bike past the convention center when Trump was in town? Did you see that one? You, you, that's what I put on Slack for you. You saw it too. It was um, we were. I was riding to the point to play soccer, and the river trail was past the convention center was closed. So Trump built a wall on the river trail. I was detoured to the bike lane on Penn Avenue, which was literally covered in horseshit because huh. there was mounted police there apparently, and they left their horseshit in the bike lane. Talk about shit posting. I guess. <laughs> what was all this stuff about uh, your conversation about a margarita sour? Oh, it was, was it the um, Harmony Inn, which is owned by North Country Brewing Company? And it was just kind of their wait staff, is, even though there's a brewery's tap room type thing. That wasn't staff. indicated in the tweet, so I don't. Yeah. I, well, no I, I wasn't calling it. out. It sounded like you were being very beer geeky. Like. Well, no, it's it said margarita sour on the menu. So I'm like, is that like a lime goza or something like that? And she's like, no, it's just sour. It's like a warhead, which is a sour candy. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know what warhead is. Yeah. And she wants. She's like, I'll bring you a sample. She brings it, and it's a lime flavored, probably goza. You know, but you know, it's just. I didn't want to call them out. I just wanted to vent a little bit, and then overheard like the other waitress was like, someone asked, "What's the black or the?" Um, yeah, a black knuckle IPA, and what kind of beer is the black knuckle? Is the guy without said. the context of knowing yeah. that you're in North Country, yeah. these just sound yeah. like okay. shit posting. All right, well, maybe I was shit posting. <laughs> um, Jeff just discovered what shit posting was today. Yes, so congratulations and welcome to the club. <laughs> I'm gonna shit post all over the place now. <laughs> But uh, yeah, the um, I don't know. The wait staff at the Harmony Inn were not was not very um, Cicerone for sure. Um, <clears throat> and their their margarita go margarita sour wasn't very good. They're, I had their um, 
business IPA and their uh, only locals only IPA. Those are both pretty good. Let me let me read to you a <laughs> uh, an article, or just the beginning, just the 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 start of the article. <clears throat> never in modern political, never in a modern American <laughs> political history has a more issue oriented, serious candidate for president faced off against a more dishonest, platformless, self absorbed celebrity who is cashing in on ill gotten wealth and fame despite serious concerns about mental and physical health. The man. All about the issues, of course, is real estate developer Donald Trump. From the day he announced for the presidency, Mr. Trump has set the agenda. This is from Breitbart.com. Mm. <laughs> what the fuck? Uh, going for that Pulitzer. Uh, Trump says he's been thinking about U.S. trade deals and he's just confused. It's like they want other countries to do well. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone does well. That's the point. Trump is incapable in, of seeing it as anything but a zero-sum game. Right. Yeah. Clearly he's a baby child. He's a baby. He's a big baby. He... I just can't believe that the public isn't calling, you know, like this Lord people are, you know, they're not calling him on any of the Look, there is a real problem here and the real problem is that uh for decades now the conservative you know, the Republican uh conservative Republican agenda has been to show that say the media is biased, you can't trust the media. Uh, they have said that about all legitimate media and have made pointed remarks about things like climate change to the point where you're not supposed to trust them at all. And they've put that in people's heads. You're not supposed to trust them. Mm-hmm. supposed to trust. And now when the media, this is a prime point when the media is supposed to say, look, this is all lies, and they do, everyone is primed, all, all the supporters are primed to say, well, this just it's all lies. I can't believe a word of it. Yeah. So they 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 made this fucking bed, and they're gonna make us all line it. <laughs> yeah, I saw a quote somewhere where some Republican congressman was like, "We used to think that uh, Fox News worked for us, but it, it turns out we worked for Fox News." Yes. <sighs> Let's go into other subjects. This is dire just makes me sad but again i, I, I want I, to i've been watching um, i want to before, before i just want to reiterate something i said earlier way earlier which mm-hmm. is still probably true which is it's more likely that we're making a big deal out of this than bigger deal out of this than it is mm-hmm. it's less likely this is the end of all this civilization that we know it it's really unlikely particularly unlikely because everyone it always says that and maybe this is just a sign of the vulgar time that we're in that we have more vulgar people in these positions. It's uh, I think it disturbs me the most, worries me the most is, um, it's okay to be racist again. Yeah. It's okay to be a bigot again. Yeah, that that is shocking. That's the thing that bugs me. It's like, in like you know. We're we're forty now. It's our peers. It's the generation that was mm-hmm. supposed to be. You know, everyone thought this, right? Our parents did in the sixties, but you know we're going to be different. We're going to be a step ahead. You know, not we're not going to be radically different so much, but we're going to build upon what they did. And now it just seems like it's sliding well, back well, into the mud. Well, I mean, the thing you can say though is that the young people aren't really. They don't, at least for the way it looks, they don't really look at it the same way. They don't look at sexuality to say it nearly the same way as, as the people of our age do, as, as our peers do. They don't look at the race issue nearly the same way as our peers do. Uh, to them, it's 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 just it it's just there, right. uh, or at least it's, it's considerably less than a big deal that it is for the people of our age. Are just yeah, they're in this. Oh, they can't deal with it. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. I mean that's that's the thing. That's the thing that has me most discouraged is the bigotry. Just the 
profound amounts of bigotry that's okay to have right now from people my age and younger. And I just, I thought we were all better than that, you know? Well, some of, some people are. Where's that slinky? Where's that slinky? So I mean, you know, just to, just to wrap it up real quick. Like I don't, I'm with you about your sentiment of it's probably not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember thinking that I don't remember which president it was at the time. Maybe I thought that Bush was going to be the end of the world. I don't remember mm-hmm. specifically, but I remember having that feeling before. Like this is can't happen. And it, so I'm tempering my Trump stuff with it, but that whole thing about going back to the bigotry, that's the thing that's like, this is different. This is worrisome. This is problematic. It's, it's, it's worrisome and problematic, but there are other things that are happening that, that's, that show that there is still, there, there's a groundswell of, of stuff against this sort of thing, like the, the NCAA moving out of North Carolina over the bathroom issue. Like there's there's a pri- there's a private ground so the, the things happening with Oculus mm-hmm. right now with you know all the, all developers right. are running away from Oculus because this guy's so even if the political stuff gets really hairy there still will be a a clear movement against it right okay as long Same. as it doesn't devolve into civil war. So some brief sciencey things to to get back to 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 you know the, the basic sort of instruction. I I was trying to give you some. I'm still just how you you keep wanting to know where am I going with this. I don't really have a lesson plan so much, but like I want to try to get. I think I think that if you get a if you grasp some of the, so the some of the math there that is there, then you will have a better understanding of the. <clears throat> what some of this stuff actually means as opposed to uh, the popular thing. But I'm, I won't get into, too, into much math here. I'll just get into some, some basic concepts. But going into the back to the wave things, I, I went to, to this because I think this is a better way of sort of describing waves. Uh, the, the thing about waves is when we talk about waves in, um, in quantum mechanics in particular, what we talk about are things called operators. So operators are just uh, things that are observable. So an example of an operator is momentum. Momentum uh, is something that is observable. Position is something that is observable. These are operators that, that have some sort of symmetry that you can run a system on. Um, the deal with momentum and position is that momentum and position are, uh, they are sort of conjoined observables. They, they can't be separated. Uh, and this is why we have a Heisenberg uncertainty relationship with them. Okay. But the point is that when we start to do these um, sort of math on waves, we do it in something called a Hilbert. You may have heard of a Hilbert space. I haven't. Uh, a Hilbert space is just take a plane, so like a Euclidean plane, right? Mm-hmm. That is a two-dimensional space, Okay. right? Uh, then if you you can extend that into sort of a three-dimensional Euclidean world. Okay. So a Hilbert space is just generalizing that concept of Euclidean space into a multi-dimensional space so that there is no... so that you can have any number of dimensions. And these dimensions aren't necessarily spatial. They're just ways of tracking how variables evolve. So you can have vector potentials in certain... In a whole bunch of different spaces, generalize in a way that you can do basic algebra and calculus on because you we know how to do that in the Euclidean plane. Okay. So when we're talking about waves in quantum mechanics, we're talking about various vector potentials in a Hilbert space. This is where I think a lot of the string theory things come from because what if those spatial dimensions are real? Right, okay. but they're but so far we don't think they are. But if you ever hear Hilbert, if you ever hear Hilbert space, it just means a Euclidean space with 
a whole bunch of possible dimensions so we can do all types of the math we understand how to use in a multi-dimensional space. Okay. Fair enough? Sure. Sure. Why can't we combine quantum mechanics and relativity? General relativity. <laughs> uh, I, let's see. I mean, I kind of know bits and pieces of this, right? So, uh, well, general relativity, one of the big governing aspects of it, might not be using the right term, is gravity, right? And then mm -hmm. in quantum mechanics, gravity doesn't make sense, doesn't work, doesn't fit. Right, yeah. And so those are kind of trying to reconcile those two is a problem. Um, and then I would think that the the uncertainty principle is another part that's uh, hard to reconcile, right? Because in general relativity, you're talking about a defined item and predicting its path through space. And well, in quantum mechanics, it's probabilities of where the thing is. Basically, you're you, you've done. You're, you're exactly right. I mean, you're, you're exactly on track. The 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 reason why we can't do it is because when we do quantum mechanics, we do it on a flat space time. It's done because that we don't understand how to do quantum mechanics in a space time that isn't flat. Uh, in effect, if you'd start to treat space and time like they're other observables, we don't know how to make the math work. Uh, you start having to deal with um, everything can be described as uh, as a function of of one of these observables in quantum mechanics. One of these things I'm talking about. Normally, we use energy, the called the Hamiltonian, and we use that to describe a system and then see how the system evolves back and forth by like running the Hamiltonian backwards and forwards. Uh, if you then start to change the uh, the shape of space-time, you're changing... That means that space-time itself, the background and all this, will be in some quantum state, like you said, in some sort of Heisenberg uncertainty situation. So you then have an added layer of uncertainty upon what you're doing all these calculations, and you then can't... You, you can't like make a wave function that would describe the system because then that space time itself has another wave function and how do those interact mm -hmm. so really it's a very difficult problem that probably requires old, some new thinking uh, because there isn't a way to get these two systems to merge uh, it's called non-renormalizability but you don't need to know that. All it really means is that we don't understand how to do a non-flat particle physics. And we don't understand how to do a flat relativity. Okay. It doesn't work like that. Okay. I mean, if that would mean that gravity, space-time has to act, has to have some sort of wave-like properties. Uh, and in a sense, it does. We, we can measure quadrupole movement over large distances but we're talking about locals we're talking about local observables in quantum mechanics but what does that mean when you're talking about spaces that have different space-time things what does local mean when you can't define an actual local area I don't have your answer it's so. real yeah neither do I no one does <laughs> Maybe maybe you'd hit on something by thinking about it. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, and that's the, the very interesting thing about quantum uh, intelligence. All, all the stuff with uh, EPR with um, entangled states is that they appear to be a way through this because they appear to violate locality. Right. Uh, they can change states simultaneously across distances. So perhaps there is some way that we can understand information traveling non-locally. Right. But 
right now we don't have a solution to that. We know we know how to explain it very well. We know, we know how it works. Well, we know that it works, and we know how to explain the situations that will occur from it uh, enough that it, it's you know it's going to be a fundamental part of of technology relatively soon. So there's a story early in the week about uh, some university researchers using quantum entanglement to send data across fiber optic link or something like that. Mm-hmm. I was looking for it, so I just searched for quantum in Google News, and like in the last two days, there's like 15 different stories on quantum, like China claims to have invented a quantum radar, and all kinds of stuff here. I I do want to stress that information still can't travel faster than light. Right. Uh, The states that... The state of these of, of a two particle system can apparently uh, reflect one particle can reflect the other particle, so that the, the two particle system can evolve into uh, a single state faster than light. But you can't get information to travel between those two points because it's unpredictable how that's how right. that will evolve, uh, and there's no way of determining how the other one has actually evolved. Or whether it has actually evolved until you make, until you actually make communication. Right, and I can't find the story right now. It's weird. Anyway, there was a recent like space time episode about <clears throat> the uh, delayed choice quantum eraser, which is crazy. Okay. Let me let me draw it out for sure. you. The, the video delayed would, choice quantum delayed eraser. choice. Well, I mean, it, it's basically an, an, an uh, example of. A different version of e of a double slit experiment. So you have a uh, laser that produces um, photons, uh, and the first thing they go through is they go through a, a type of crystal that creates an entangled pair. Uh, so an entangled pair comes out here, one part comes out here, and one part goes out here. Then there is an apparatus. We'll call it. A and B that can uh, effectively uh, interfere with the photon Uh, and then the photon will continue whether it goes through A and B and then it could go through C or D which in a very strange way can uh, disentangle the make it so that uh, any information is re-scrambled. This is just, I'm, I'm doing it to a very, very quick thing. Uh, and then uh, there is the photon on the, on the other side will go towards a type of trap, uh, a photoreceptor. Uh, and the idea here is that if the photon just goes through, doesn't hit A or B, uh, and hits C or D, then you just get a standard uh a standard type of um, distribution that, that you that you would expect with a double slit, you get the interference tr- mm-hmm. uh, distribution. Okay. If you have one of these interfere and uh, that and it doesn't hit C or D, then you get the the single slit type you know pattern because mm-hmm. it's been interfered with, it's been changed. If it goes through this, uh, and then it gets re-scrambled um, then it restores this type of pattern the interesting thing is that you can set the time up so that it will impact this before this decision is made and it still has the... and, it, and it still carries with it whether it was interfered with or not Effect, effectively you can delay the choice of what is going to appear on uh how this is going to appear after the photon has already landed. <laughs> so the question was then put, uh, can he use this agent to, to um, send information? For example, what if I make, what if I wrap this thing around the moon? Right. Uh, you know, and, uh, and I, Oh, well, that's it. What if, what, if, what if you could put enough delay in there? Where the outcome is not determined, mm-hmm. 
a person observes the result and then goes and tries to change the outcome. Right. Or let's say you code, in this case, it was coding binary for the lottery numbers mm -hmm. for tomorrow. Right? Okay. Right, so, so I'm going to put in the lottery numbers for tomorrow. Who's going to put that in, though? Remember, yeah, this, this, I, I can observe these like a day early, a day earlier. Oh. Right? You put in today's lottery numbers. Or tomorrow, you put in, you do the interference. Right. right. So that will affect this today. And you do it in some sort of binary fashion. Okay. Right? So what's wrong with that? Why won't that work? Well, everything we know says it shouldn't work. <laughs> uh. The problem is that, remember what you're getting. Remember the data that you're receiving. You're receiving either, you're receiving essentially, it's a screen of some sort. And dot, 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 dot. It just, it will build up over time to be either an interference pattern or not. Right. Um, the thing is, until you know what photon it was, you were, what you were doing with the photon, where it landed doesn't, you can't correlate that with anything. It's just a mess of photons. In order to separate out which photons went to C, what photons went to D, what photons interfered with in B, what photons interfered with in A, you have to know that. Then you can pull it out and find the correlations. Until you have that information, it's just a random mess of dots. You can't do anything with it. It all looks like you have no idea which photon went where. You have no idea which photon got interfered with or not interfered with. But you you run the experiment ahead of time. Mm -hmm. So forget the lottery. So you're betting on a sports game, right? Yeah. So it's either going to be Team A wins or Team B wins. Okay. Right? So you, you set up your apparatus where it looks one way if the outcome is A and another way if the outcome is B. No. No. Okay. Uh, you set up your apparatus so that you can, you can't, if you set up your apparatus so that it looks one way or looks the other way, remember that 50% of the time, regardless of what will happen, it will be shifted back the way this system works. So it'll still be a mess of, of, of possible situations. Um but well, I, I don't understand the experiment then, because if you can't tell how the experiment was set up, because it's 50% chance it could be the other way, then well, what was the correlation they found? The correlation was found once they, once they actually took the information and put it together. Once they, once they had the... Okay, maybe I don't understand statistics well enough. Why, if you have a machine that behaves in this correlation, mm -hmm. right? Then <clears throat> when you're, you're unable to just look at the results and figure out which way it was maintained until someone tells you which way it was maintained. And you can say, oh, now, yeah, that it, it, uh, it seems to suggest that you're telling the truth. Right, yeah, it, that, that, that's sort of exactly how it works. It, if It just looks like a mess of dots where the photons were received. And it, it basically just looks like, a, in le, if it was all but set up... But you said to, one way it had an interference pattern, the other way it didn't. Right. One way it had a specific type of interference pattern, another way it didn't have an interference pattern, or it had a, a different right. phase of Okay, but pattern. couldn't I have my around-the-moon apparatus, uh -huh. and if the home team wins, interference pattern. If the road team wins, no interference pattern. So, I think I'm going to do this tomorrow, so I'm going to watch today and see what pops up on the screen. Mm -hmm. And once you have the information about which photons were which, you can pull that information out easily. Which photons were which? Which photons were went through uh, the apparatus to... Well, no, you, you'd see the interference pattern, right? Or not. Well, you'd only... No, you'd only see the interference pattern it, once you disentangled the information about the experiment from the experiment itself so again this is still a statistical experiment where as i said 50 percent of the time the the system will work because you still have a deal you're still dealing with it so is this like a like a cryptographic checksum right where 
it verifies. So you have this thing that's noise, mm-hmm. right? And then when you get data saying the apparatus was set up like this, you can feed that into your checksum, and the result verifies it. Yes, it signs it. Yes. Okay. Well, that's that's not really how you describe the experiment it, at the start. It makes this seem <clears throat> less magical when you understand the fact that you're still it's still just a mess of stuff. So it's, it's like, not magic. It, it 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 is. I mean, it's an experiment, and when you pull out the information, you can definitely see there was a correlation that went apparently, according to this, seemingly backwards in time, but. Until you combine that information, you have no way of showing that that's true. You have no way of actually pulling out that information until you can actually pull a correlation. Like you said, like a checksum. Until you, it's just random information scrambled. And until you can unscramble it, you can't get any information out of it. So if I had my interference pat my, my data, yeah. right? And... You gave me the wrong information about how the apparatus was configured, and I ran that through my correlation. The results would look wrong, right? They wouldn't. Okay. Yeah. It's only when they do the correlation that that these things that these interesting. Well, right. Okay. Show up. So. Okay. So until. A piece of information is transmitted traditionally. Mm-hmm. You can't. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so. Yeah, I mean, I keep thinking of it in terms of encryption or hashing or something like that. Because that's, well, that's why what people are thinking about entanglement for is mostly encryption or hashing. Because that's the practical use of this sort of technology right now is encryption or hashing mm-hmm. doing something along those levels you can you can figure out a way to make that very very secure with this method right so i mean but you can't use it to send so i'm I'm, th- I'm looking at more of the question of are you really getting the information early yeah, that that's or not because it's not. That's part of the that's part of the philosophical question behind here. Because in, from a classical standpoint, it seems like you are. It seems like you're influencing things in the past. But from an informational standpoint, you're not really influencing until you get anything. The key, it's... Until you get the key, is just random noise. So you're not really influencing. I mean, things. it's almost exactly like encryption, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I can send you an encrypted email. So uh, say I encrypt something with a symmetric key, which is different from a public key encryption. Mm-hmm. I encrypt it with a secret passphrase, and I send you the email. It's pseudo-random noise. There's, do you have the information or not? You're right. It basically, you know, it's it's you're never going to be able to decrypt that until I send you the key later. Yep. So who cares if the email came in faster than light? Yep. If the key's coming snail mail, you're not getting the information until you get the key. Exactly. So it is a philosophical type thing. Mm -hmm. Yes, very much so. Neat. Yeah, your your knowledge of encryption helps you understand something quantum that most people don't get. So there you go. And then just I I want to talk a little bit about hashing real quick, Mm -hmm. just for the listeners. Maybe it'll help them. But um, so when I use the term encryption, it's typically a reversible process. I encrypt a message. I send it to Greg. He can decrypt it and read the plain text from the, from what I sent him. Yes. A hash is a one-way system, and what this is used for is to verify that something hasn't changed or something like that. So, like if you download software from the internet, oftentimes they'll give you a hash, and it used to MD5 be MD five. Used to be MD five. MD five is too easy to collide against. And I'll talk about collisions here in a second. SHA one, SHA two fifty six, or SHA one's like aging out right now, and SHA two fifty six is kind of coming in to standard practice. What do right these uh, acronyms mean? Are they acronyms or they initials? Or um, <clears throat> probably standard hash algorithm one. Okay. Which is like a ninety six bit 
algorithm, I think. So SHA would be, that standard, would be an acronym. Standard hash algorithm. Uh, MD would be initialism. Yes. MD's probably someone's initial, like, like, yeah. or two collaborators, right. like Hiffy Dale, you know, Diffie-Hellman, you know, DH, Diffie-Hellman, is, well, uh, Mr. Diffie and Mr. Hellman, <laughs> Wit Diffie's, Wit is Wit's name, I don't know Mr. Hellman's name. <clears throat> anyway, um, so the way a hash works is, and what you do is, so you, so you have this DVD, you know, this four gigabyte Windows CD or DVD or something, right? You run it through your hash algorithm through SHA-1 or something like that, and it'll compute every byte in that four gigabytes, and it'll run the algorithm, and it'll give you a much shorter string. And think of it like a fingerprint, right? And the SHA-1, you know, will be like 90 characters or something like that. Uh, and that's your 90 bits, so it'll be less than... 90 bits, so divide that by 8, you know, however many characters that is. And the idea of a hash is if you change anything in the DVD, you know, change one bit in the 4 gigabytes of the DVD, the hash is going to be completely different. It's not going to just be different at the end. It's not going to be like, but completely different. Mm -hmm. You know, on average, 50% of the characters are going to change in the, in the, in the uh, fingerprint. And... Um, so it lets you know that you've downloaded something that is statistically improbable being modified. And it's a one way, right? You can't take that hash and recreate the DVD because it's it's only 96 bits, right? Yeah, it's only it's a tiny amount of information that right. has to do with it's it's a lot it reminds me of GUID creation, right? GUID creation has to do with some bits of when the file was created, what, what your computer is, all right. types of But even if I took the string hello world mm -hmm. and ran it into a hash you can't reverse it, even though the hash is... In that case, the hash will actually be bigger than, than the input string. Yeah. But still, it's a fingerprint for Hello World. Mm -hmm. And if you hashed Hello World with the same hash algorithm as I did, you'd get the same string. Um, then there's uh, hash collisions. And this is... This can happen with MD5 these days. MD5... Now, the, the, it's 96-bit. Is it hexadecimal? Well, it's bits. So, oh, it's I mean, bits. so if, if, you're, if you're using characters to represent that right then each character is eight bits it's a byte right yeah. so it would be 96 divided by eight and that's however many characters would be i don't have that in my head right now okay uh but so but it's basically two to the 96 possible variations of yeah of but keys. um shaw 256 is 256 bit yeah so you know they've made it much bigger now yeah, so now so then two <clears throat> to the 256 yeah, right. possible variant that's Right, a very large. So, number. but a hash collision for MD5, which I think was a 32-bit checksum, mm -hmm. is Greg has one in four his... million, right? 32. Bits. Okay, so um, say we have a document, right? Um, you know, Greg's will. Okay, Greg writes up his will. He puts a checksum on it to make sure no, I have no one's messed with it. Now, I want to change his will, so I go in and say, Greg gives Jeff Bear his Apple Watch. And if I just do that straight up and want it. check some and check some <laughs> it, it's going to come up with a different checksum. But something at the MD5, what hackers can do, what you know researchers can do, is they can make a whole series of changes to your will so it comes up with the same checksum. Mm -hmm. So when the lawyer runs it into MD5, it's like, hey, hasn't changed. Jeff gets his iWatch and his car and his computer and his. Tur turtles. He doesn't have turtles. Well, whatever. And you know, why would there be turtles in here to ah, make that to make the hash collision yeah, work? Yeah. But, must, must have been early. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the kind of how a collision could work. Why would I give you my turtles? You, you don't even know that my turtle fighting league. I like turtles. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> you want to drink some beers, man? Uh. Yeah, you done talking about hashes? Yeah, I think that's enough. I mean, you have any questions for me about hashes? Um, let's see. <clears throat> so, how often am I going to, I mean, how often am I going to see this? I've seen it, like, if I go to SourceForge and they, they give me, uh, right. usually it's MD5. Maybe it's changed now. Uh, they give me some sort of hash. I, I don't pay attention. But I don't see that. All. I know that's only for there for, like, SourceForge stuff. Is there? Is it uh, built you... into, like, browsers <clears throat> and stuff like that to do that kind of hash check? So, um, certificates have the encryption key, and then they're signed, right? The signing is on um, SHA. So, 
starting at the beginning of 2016, no certificate signer would sign with SHA-1 anymore. They're all SHA-256. And Google, it was it was a sunset period, but Google jumped the sunset period. And they start, like if you go to a, a website that has a SHA-1 cert, Google's going to say, this site might not be secure. Mm-hmm. Even though there's no practical SHA-1 collision exploits yet, Google, or maybe Google's been keeping it secret, and that's why they're fast-tracking this. But, so certificates are signed with these things but i mean if you're downloading um i don't see it with microsoft stuff so much but if you're downloading it um dvds linux dvds things like that you know they all come with checksums so you, the paranoid type will check some their dvd to make sure it matches most people are too you know care they they it's on the web server. It probably wasn't modified. Right. You know, I'm not. I'm, it's not like I mod- downloaded this from two cows. I'm downloading it from Red Hat. You know, <laughs> so Red Hat would have had to have been hacked since they last put mm-hmm. it up, type thing. So I'm not going to check this. Um, and even then, the checksum is only as good as the person who's made the checksum. I mean, if, if well, right, where are you getting your checksum from? Is it on the same website that they mm-hmm. got the software from? So maybe the checksum was modified too. Yeah, that kind of thing. So you, you almost have to, but that it just it's just an extra level of verification. Um, so with updates in Linux, those are all checksummed as well, right? So the automatic downloader will download the package. It'll check the checksum that's there. And if it doesn't match, because say it was modified on the wire or something mm-hmm. on the way in, you know, by an event that's persistent thread or something like that, then it'll fail to install because the checksum will fail. So there's a bunch of safety gauges like that baked into the system as Interesting. well. Interesting. I'm wondering if that might be a way to... Apple definitely uses checksums for things for their updates. Yeah, I would think that uh, like the App Store or things like that would probably do checksum on stuff that it downloads. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Like the, like I the wouldn't. App Store. Well, so checks. I mean, the Apple goes a bit further, right? Because they have certificate signing on their packages, right? Mm-hmm. So that goes a bit further, where instead of just doing a checksum, you know, they're taking Apple's public developer key and doing a, a sign on it, which is kind of, let me think here if I can describe the difference between a checksum and a, a signed package or a signed file. Um, so a signed file is kind of a checksum plus where the checksum, you, you can verify Two things. And so with a checksum, you can only verify that the file hasn't changed from whoever generated the checksum, right? So we were just talking about the problem where what if the bad guy uploads the checksum too? So with so with sign signing is you can verify that the file hasn't changed, but you can also verify that the signing was made by the owner of the private key who generated the public key that you're using, right? So Greg gives me his public key or posts a public key on his website. And I load that into my program that checks signings. And now Greg signs an email and gives it to me. I can verify that the email hasn't been changed and that it came from Greg because I am confident that the public key I have came from Greg because he handed it to me in a sealed envelope you know, in a Faraday cage type thing. <clears throat> so that's that's what signing gives you over just straight up checks on. I see. Interesting. Now, what if you could change the ink? Right. Right. Here's it. Yes. Have you seen this image before? I did. I think you sent it to me, didn't you? Uh, yeah, I may have. Yeah. Do you know how to see all the dots at once? Uh, peripheral vision? No, no, no. <laughs> oh. Huh. Wow. <laughs> How about that? So there's this picture that Greg has. I think you sent it to me initially. It's, um, yeah, 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 because I thought it was blind spots at first, and then you told me it wasn't. It was, uh, it's essentially, uh, cause, okay, so it, it's, so let's describe the picture. It's a series of, uh, gray lines. There's lines going vertically, there's lines going horizontally, and there's lines going diagonally, uh, in one direction. Um, and at some of the vertexes, there are black circles. At most of them, there are not. In fact, basically, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So there are eight 
There are nine gray lines uh, at only the first one, the middle one, and the bottom one are their gray dots, and they are spaced uh, at the one. Yeah, there's 12 dots on the yeah. so it's grid. Seven, it's seven by nine grid. Uh, and at uh, one, three, five, and seven, there are dots at uh, position. So there's dot at position uh, one, one, uh, one, three, one, five, one, seven, uh, five, one. Right. Five, five, They're equally spaced out, and you learn that. But when you look at this thing, you only see like one dot. Or maybe two. And then you move three. around, you see two dots. And if you get, if you train yourself, you might be able to see. I can only see two. My coworker, Justin, who has, I guess he has a bit of a lazy eye. And, you know, I'm not insulting him. He, he admitted you know, to it. He says he can see three to four at one time. Um, but, you know, it's neat. At first, it seems like it's almost like an animated GIF. And, like, the dots are coming and going. But, no, it's just a, a trick of perception. But what I did for Greg was I tilted his screen down so the contrast changed. Yeah. And all the dots come into view because they get much darker than the the rest of the thing. Yeah. As it is, yeah. So when you're looking at it without having the, the screen all the way down, your brain is making assumptions because there's a lot of information there. Uh, and so it's making assumptions because on most of these vertexes, there isn't a dot. And occasionally there is a dot. So when, it, when you look at a dot, it will see the dot and it might see the one next to it. But the rest of the vertexes, your brain is building up the rest of the image and it just sort of assumes that there are, even though you know you know there are dots there, your visual perception part is not part of your, uh, <laughs> it's not part of your conscious mind. Your logic, yeah. Uh, so it's, it doesn't care that you know there are dots there. It simply sees what it sees. It builds up the image based on how it's learned to build up images and it doesn't see those dots until you actually focus on them. Uh, and as Jeff just demonstrated, by pushing this down, you can change totally the contrast. The so it's, it's the contrast that, that plays a role, too. Yeah. Because well, yeah, when, you tilt, when you tilt this down to a significant amount, those dots stick out like a sore thumb uh, because your, your brain no longer has to try to disentangle mm -hmm. the, the slight difference in contrast. There's a much greater difference in contrast. Right. Very cool. Yep. Very cool. All right, well, let's go on to, to drinking beer. That's a good idea. I like that idea. I, I like, like it, it a lot. I like it a lot. <laughs> 